You're listening to Discover Hope with Pastor Tom Leake of Hope Bible Church in Columbia, Maryland. Here we behold the tongue in all of its schizophrenia, praising God, cursing men. Why does that go together? How can that go together? It does, unfortunately, go together in our mouths. How is that even possible that that happens? Scripture insists here that proper worship toward God, indeed our entire proper response to our God above, demands that we have goodwill toward our fellow man below. Every person you meet is made in God's image. From the oldest man to the youngest girl, every race and skin tone and height and weight, everyone is God's image bearer. So why do we tend to treat others differently? Pastor Tom will talk today about how much God loves each individual you meet, including you. He'll also remind you that if you love God and are praising His name, you also should be modeling His love to others. Don't speak ill of anyone else, but pray for them instead. Now here's Pastor Tom in the book of James chapter 3 as he begins his message, Duplicitous Praise. Well, it is all of grace, and we're so grateful that it is an abundance of grace that's been shown to us because we are very inconsistent followers of God. Inconsistency is a problem, and we all have a problem with it. In fact, I think when we're honest, we all hate it inside of ourselves, inconsistency. We make commitments to the Lord sometimes in a service such as this. Something moves us. We recognize an area in our life that needs to change. We may quietly make a commitment to follow the Lord more closely. And then the next day, next week, next month, we renege or we forget that promise, that commitment, that holy impulse seems to leave us and we're back to our same inconsistent self, and we hate that. Sometimes it's what I would call the boasting Peter syndrome. You know, Lord, I will never deny you. I'll follow you everywhere. Of course, that very night, thrice came the denial. None of us like that about ourselves, but all of us are still learning how to be more consistent, how to follow the Lord more consistently. And it's our wish, it's our desire that we be more complete, that we be more holy, that there be a maturation that comes over our character and what we are in moments would would be longer moments and would last and endure better. We would be more Christ-like all day long, that there could be integrity between the mouth and the life. This really is the goal of of the blessed process of sanctification that everyone who has stepped forward and become a believer in Jesus Christ, now they enter into that sanctification. We're told without it, we won't even see the Lord. This is the end every believer longs for. This is what we want. Well, James is writing about that. He's trying to encourage that in his letter. Under the inspiration, even the superintendence of the Holy Spirit moving James along. He's pulling certain areas of life out and magnifying them and showing inconsistency and then exhorting us to get rid of that inconsistency and to walk with Christ better. He's exhorting us 
whom he loves as brothers. Spot those things in your life that aren't right yet. They're a little bit there, maybe even more than before, but they need to be more consistent. Spot them, be humbled by them, come before the Lord and help him by his grace remove what needs to be removed and add what needs to be added. Maturity. If you remember back in chapter 1, he was confronting the person who was given a God-given trial, a really difficult time, but he wasn't rejoicing in it. He was all sour about it because he didn't see God in it. He didn't see what God was doing in it to mature his character. God was refining his faith, but he couldn't rejoice in it, and so he was double about that. He couldn't see it. Also, when he was praying for wisdom and saying, Lord, give me wisdom, he was partially doubting, and he said, you're a double-minded man, and he was trying to confront that. Then later in chapter 1, there were those that were listening to the Word of God, much like you and me, listening to the Word of God, but not doing the Word of God, feeling like coming and sitting before the Word of God and listening, satisfied religious duty, and he said, no, that's just deceiving yourself. If it doesn't follow through to life change and application, it's just, again, a double-mindedness, a double approach, one foot in the world, so to say, and one foot with God, and it just doesn't work that way. God has to be master. We have to bend to his will. And then as we went into chapter 2, it was coming into the Christian assembly and honoring God and holding our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then there was favoritism, and the poor man wasn't treated well. And he was exposing that as, well, you have your religion, but you're not honoring the, the poor man. And so that's not correct either. And each time he's telling us you can't live the Christian life the way you want to, you can't drag God into it and say, this is what I want out of my religion, God. I'm going to honor you and I'm going to bless you, but I'm going to live this way because this is the way I want to live. And James keeps saying, that's not the Christian faith. That's not faith in the Lord. That's not the way to approach it. That won't work with God anyways. He won't bless that. You'll never be happy. You'll never experience his power that way. You won't get closer to him. You can't manipulate God into your will. You have to bend to his. Well, in chapter 3, nothing has changed. He's dealing with our tongues. Oh, the most inconsistent aspect of our lives, the one that can just jolt one way into the other way so quickly, the tongue. A few verses before what we're getting into now, it's been described as untamable, as destructive, a wild animal, a fire. Apart from the Spirit of God controlling us and developing us, that's what the tongue is. And now, James is putting forward just the doubleness of the tongue, how it can go this way one second and go this way the next moment. And that's what we're going to look at today by God's design in James. If you open there, we'll look at verses 9 through 12. James 3, James chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, somewhere in the center of this great epistle now. And I'll read it for you. James writes, with it, that is the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? nor can salt water produce fresh, fresh water. It's unnatural, in other words. Well, if you notice at the beginning in verse 9 there, these verses are not tied grammatically, at least, 
to the previous section by any marker there. But the theme of the tongue obviously continues through verse 12. And so the concerns are similar to the previous verses, but here he's getting very specific about the tongue going in two different directions and revealing something that's going on in our heart that's not right. We were told earlier in the passage that we all stumble in many ways. We were told then that one of the ways we most stumble is with the tongue. We were told that if we could control our tongues, we would be that perfect man, that mature man, able to bridle our entire bodies as well. If somehow we could just get control of the tongue, if we would focus on that in our maturation, it would allow us to be able to control all the rest of our body. But alas, how hard that is. We were told of all the members of our body, the tongue's the hardest to control. We are also told that if it's not controlled, it has the potential to do the most damage. It hurts. It spreads its hurt. Its hurt can go far and wide. It gossips, and that gossip spreads. It slanders, and it tears down reputations of people that can never really be fully rebuilt. It lies. It's dishonest. It it's involved in backbiting. In anger, it expresses itself in argument, one on top of another, waves of anger growing stronger. It can be jealous, bitter. It can offer flattery, constant criticism that destroys people that are criticized, selfish outbursts, arrogant boasts. The tongue expresses the heart, which has all of the worldliness in it. And so out of the heart, then the mouth speaks. The mouth speaks from what the heart has in it as a well. Well, here we're faced with a tremendous inconsistency, really a stark contrast. Of all the particular examples James could have pulled front and center and said, as I'm talking about the tongue, here's a problem, like gossip or any of the things that we mentioned, he decided to bring out duplicitous praise, that moment where Christians are praising God, and then that moment where the same Christians in the same mouth, the same tongue, curse men. Here we behold the tongue in all of its schizophrenia, praising God, cursing men. Why does that go together? How can that go together? It does, unfortunately, go together in our mouths. How is that even possible that that happens? The Scripture insists here that proper worship toward God, indeed our entire proper response to our God above, demands that we have goodwill toward our fellow man below. Let me say that again. Proper worship toward God above demands that we have goodwill toward men below. Can't properly relate to God, even if your mouth is praising him, if you don't have words of kindness towards fellow man. And so in the passage, James is going to kind of try to uproot that, to evict that from our lives, to, to show us that and get it out of our lives, as he's been doing elsewhere with other issues in the letter. This is an, a great inconsistency, and so he's going to use three tactics to get rid of it from our lives, to evict it. The first tactic is to expose the inconsistency. That's in verses 9 and beginning of verse 10. The second tactic is to rebuke that inconsistency quite sharply there at the uh, end of verse 10. And then the third tactic is just to point out the folly of this inconsistency in verses 11 and 12. 
First, he exposes our inconsistency. Look again at verse 9. He says, with it we bless our Lord and our Father. That's the good part. Please notice he says that our tongue is an instrument because he says with it. That means we're using it, and that means someone's in charge of it as a tool, and that's us that are in charge of it. With it, we do this, much like you might pick up a shovel and with it, do something. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. That means we're actually in charge of our tongues, and we need to realize that. We are like that pilot from verse 4 of the ship that can steer the ship. We are like that rider in verse 3 of the horse steering it with the bit and the bridle. So our hearts, our will, our minds are supposed to be in control of our tongue. With it, we do certain things. And by using the plural we, James places himself right in our camp, right alongside with his brothers, saying that he himself is involved in this travesty, unfortunately. This is a problem for all of us. Remember, we all stumble in many ways, he wrote before. But please notice the dichotomy he starts with the good side, one really good thing that we do with our tongues, one really wonderful thing, and you just did it, is we bless our Lord and our Father. Did you do that? Yes, you did. That's good. We bless our Lord and our Father. Blessing's a good thing. Of course, blessing was a very common way for the Hebrews, the Jews, to speak of their act of praise. It's just as common to speak of blessing God as it is to speak of praising God. It was part of what it meant to be a Jew. Jews blessed God. They grew up blessing God in their education. They were taught to bless God. They blessed God from the earliest days. They memorized blessings of God. The early Christians, who most of them were Jews to begin with, all just followed in this suit as well, and they blessed God. You read some of Paul's letters or Peter's letters, and they open with that. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 is an example. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians opens the same way. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, the same thing. We should have that attitude. That's a good heart attitude. Bless God. What was that song say? Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise, right? But also when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be your name, right? Whether it's going very well or very poorly, God deserves blessing. And it's not just that he deserves it. My mouth needs to utter it and speak it. Indeed, in that songwriter, he said, I will speak it. I will bless the Lord. Now, in Hebrew, the term blessing is barak. Here in Greek, it's eulageo, the verb. It means to speak well of somebody. We get our word eulogy from it. To bless God is to speak well of God, to speak very favorably of God. Praise means to lift up on high. So those words together give us the idea that we're thinking about this grand being, God. Our minds are wrapped up in the worship of God. Get our minds off ourselves, our problems, the people around us, folks that don't have faith, don't see God, don't understand God, and we enter into a time of blessing and praise. It's needed. Our souls need that. It's right that we do that. It's a good thing we do it. Listen, there's no higher use of your tongue than praising God, blessing, blessing God. By the way, don't hold back during times of praise, please. Some of you I know are very enthusiastic. Others of you are like, you're not singing with your whole heart. Sing with your whole heart. doesn't matter if the guy next to you is not to. You need to do that. God is worthy of the praise. It's your duty to sing loudly and enthusiastically. God deserves that. Don't come in and just analyze the words, you know, is this all biblical? Sing to God. <laughs> praise God. Bless his name. 
When they clap, you can clap. When they raise hands, raise hands. Bless God's name. Don't be so mediocre about it. He deserves it. We already saw back in verse 6 that this tongue was set as a member in the body by the Creator. The Creator gave us the tongue. Why? Praise Him. It's the purpose of the tongue. The highest use of the tongue you do right here together with the other saints on Sunday. You bless Him. So do it better. Raise it up better. The tongue of Adam that was created, what did he do with it? Well, he instantly named the animals. Remember that? And then Eve was brought to him. And uh, she wasn't called Eve yet. And he named her. She shall be called woman. He, he welcomed her. He used his tongue to name her. The highest and greatest use of the, the tongue, I'll say again, is blessing the creator of the tongue. He made it. He put it in our body. We should praise and bless him. Psalm 34.1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Is that true of you? Is, is the praise of God continually in your mouth? When you pray at home and you start your quiet times, it's always, Lord, this is what I want. Or do you start as Jesus taught us to do, our Father who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. Bless his name. Start with that. Don't rush into your list. Psalm 96.2, sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Not just Sunday. Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. And on and on the scriptures would go. Here notice that God is given a unique title, at least as far as the New Testament is concerned. He is called our Lord and Father. By the way, that's the best reading from the Greek manuscripts. Some of you have God and Father, but Lord and Father goes back to the earliest manuscripts and is... Uh, more likely the original reading. And here we have, with this title, Our Lord and Father, an example of a rule called the Granville Sharp Rule, grammatical rule in Greek. What it means is that one article governs two nouns, and when they're joined by the copulative, the word and, the, the joining word, the conjunction, chi in Greek, those two titles then must, must refer to the same person. So God is being called here Lord and Father, two titles for the same person. You say, why are you being technical about that? Well, it's important to know that, first of all, but that rule also applies for the Son of God in other passages, particularly a very important passage in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, where Jesus is called our great God and Savior. And some think the great God part stands for the Father and the Savior part stands for the Lord Jesus. No, the grammatical rule demands that that passage is referring both to Jesus. Great God and Savior must grammatically apply both to Christ. In other words, a definitive verse where Christ is labeled Theos, God. There's no doubt at all about his deity. Here, God the Father is stressed as Lord for what? What does Lord mean? It means he is Lord above, it means he has authority. He is a noble one with mastery. And so when we think of God, we should think of him with the highest honor and the highest reverence. We should honor him and, and his absolute authority. He's king over the universe. He's, he's in control of every little detail that happens. There's nothing that happens in the universe that's apart from his control. He's sovereign over all. So we bless him as Lord, as king, as master. He's high. He's exalted. He's in control. Our lives are controlled by him, and so we should bless him and honor him. 
He's also called Father. What does Father bring up? That he's the originator of our lives. Indeed, we were created from him. He's also our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ for our second creation, our recreation, our redemption, and our regeneration in Christ, right? We were made by the creator. We were remade in Christ Jesus for a new life in Christ. He's our Father both ways. And as a Father, he's tender. He's caring. He's generous. Father means that he's a God who gives and he's generous. He loves his children. We read earlier in chapter 1, verse 17, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. He's generous. He was generous. He remains generous. He gives. He loves to give. That's who he was. That's who he is. That's who he will always be. He never changes, not even a flicker of change in God's character. I hope your view of God when you pray to God and bow your head and you're alone and you praise him and call him Father, that you understand how much he tenderly cares for you. This God who sent his son, his only begotten son, so that we might live through him, so that we might have everlasting life and not be judged. This Father who cared for you individually, who had you in his mind when he elected you before the worlds began, This father who cared for you there cares for you now. I know as a father, I want my children to believe that I'm a generous father, that they can come and ask for something, and I'll do whatever I can to be able to provide that. And how disappointed I would be if they didn't believe in my generosity. Do you believe in the generosity, kindness, goodness of gifts from the heavenly father toward you? Do you believe that? And do you bless the father because you believe that? I hope you do. Our Heavenly Father wants His children crying to Him night and day. He's pleased by that. Our Heavenly Father also tests our resolve about the things that we cry to Him for before He grants it because He wants our faith to grow and our character to grow. He wants our appreciation for when it comes to understand we don't deserve what we got, but He graciously gave it. Our Heavenly Father first has to purge all of our pride and our stubbornness and our self-sufficiency, which we don't want to admit is even inside of us, before He grants the request. So He may minister to us even more because He cares about us for eternity. He purifies our motives, and then He grants what we request. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened to you, right? God gives. He doesn't give stingily. He gives pressed down, shaken together. You can't outgive God. God is good. God never changes. God is not just good towards Abraham. He's good towards you. You are his child. And that is why we bless him as Lord and Father. And that's good. It's good we do that. But notice the discordant note in this symphony of praise next. And with it, the it still being the tongue, with it, we wah, 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 curse Men, we curse men, yikes. There are human beings and we curse them. Now, cursing is probably not exactly what you think. It doesn't simply mean cussing at them. I know we call those curse words in English, but James with a Hebrew background means something broader, something deeper, worse than just filthy words that come out of our mouths. Which, by the way, you hear a lot of filthy words out there. You should not repeat those words. Your mouth should not be a channel for the filth of the world. The world is going to speak filthy. They're going to speak from what is in their heart. 
their heart is unclean. Yours is not. And so you shouldn't be passing on any of these things. They shouldn't be part of your vocabulary. They shouldn't be part of your social vocabulary, social media. Don't abbreviate them and, and say, that's okay to do. No, that's not okay to do. That's you becoming like them. Filth is unbecoming of saints. The tongue can hurt and the tongue can heal. It can build up and it can tear down. It's such a powerful part of your body. But today, Pastor Tom reminded you that the tongue wasn't a mistake by God. In fact, he had a purpose in making it part of who you are. You are meant to praise the Lord, so do it today. Lift up a song of praise to your Creator, your Comforter and Redeemer. He is worthy of all your praise. With sad yet hope-filled hearts, we want to let you know that Pastor Tom Leake, the voice you've been listening to today, has gone home to be with Jesus. Pastor Tom served the Lord faithfully here on earth for 24 years, pastoring thousands and helping to create a network of like-minded churches in the Mid-Atlantic region. He shared the gospel unashamedly, shining light into this dark world. Pastor Tom will be missed, but we rejoice that he is healed and with his Savior. If you would like to learn more about Pastor Tom and his legacy, visit hopebible.org. Now, here's a preview of the next edition of Discover Hope. Next time you join Pastor Tom, he'll be talking about cursing, not the kind you think of with fables and mummies and ancient tombs. There's cursing that's done to others by people just like you, and maybe you have as well. Instead of uttering a word of distaste or hatred towards someone else, remember who they are in God's eyes. Don't curse them. Pray for them instead and build them up because of Jesus' love for them. There's much more to learn from the book of James, so we hope you'll tune in next time. If you'd like to listen again to today's teaching or share it with friends and family, you'll find it online at hopebible.org. Thanks for joining us on Discover Hope.